0: Hello everybody, it's time for Thinking Beyond, conversations with strategic thinkers. I'm here again today with my co-host Joan Quintana, howdy Joan.
1: Howdy Dr. Flint.
0: And our producer Will, howdy Will. Howdy
1: David.
0: Who have we got coming in today Joan?
1: So today the conversation is with Jared Moore and he is the founder of Avadi Dental Labs out of Utah.
0: Yeah, and I've known Jared a long time. A real long time. Longer than I care to actually (laughs) admit to at this point.
1: (laughs) Well, based on the conversation, it seems like Jared is really familiar with the V-Roll framework.
0: Yeah, he is. He got a little dose of it in my class a long time ago.
1: So we are talking to Jared today on two topics, and we're actually going to spread this out over two podcast episodes. So this is part one of a two-part series with Jared. And the first part, we're going to focus on Avadi Dental Labs. And how Jared is using the v Roll framework to get this startup company into a really strategic position in a dynamic market.
0: It's an interesting story. That market of creating the dental work, the bridges and the caps and so forth, is is actually a, a much more interesting business than I think a lot of people realize
1: think a lot of us don't really want to think about it.
0: <laughs> well, that, that could be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it is a really interesting business. I learned a lot talking to him about how really dynamic that market is right now as it's changing with different technologies being introduced and Jared's positioning his business to take advantage of that change.
0: And he's using V-Real to help him do it.
1: All right. So this is going to be a great conversation. Let's listen.
0: Okay. Let's get to it. Okay, well, howdy, Jared. Hi. It's been a long time since we've been in the same place at the same time together. Been a few years. Yeah, just a few. A few com- phone conversations along the way, that's true. But just to to elaborate a little bit more on who you are and how we know each other. So I'll let you explain how we got to know each other.
2: Well, I was a student at uh, what is now Utah Valley University and. Dr. Flint was teaching business strategy. I uh, just happened to have the privilege of ending up in his class, a favorite class of all in uh, all my college time there. Felt like it really made a difference in uh, what I was gonna do with my life. And so it was, that yeah, was awesome. And you know, we, uh, we had a lot of common interests We became friends and discussion, and lots of discussions about business and such. And yeah, we never got tired of talking business, so.
0: It's funny how that happens. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, okay. I think we have an awful lot to talk about today. This may turn out to be more than a one-part conversation for podcast purposes, but I'm really interested in talking to you about your current main business endeavor. And it's a little bit complicated. I mean, the the basic idea isn't, but it's a little bit complicated. So why don't you explain Avadi to the people who are listening?
2: Avadi is what most people would call a dental lab. We make teeth, Mm -hmm. mostly fixed prosthesis, crowns, bridges, implants, anything fixed that goes in your mouth. Um, It's a very interesting industry. You know, when I first got into the industry, we took notice because 80% of the industry was comprised of companies that do less than half a million dollars a year. So heavy fragmentation, Um, lots of mom and pop, lots of guys working out of their basement or out of the basement of a, a dental office that they supply. And the really interesting thing was a lot of technology was about to hit the industry. And we thought that would make some some big fundamental changes in how things were done. Mm
0: -hmm. And when was that?
2: That was probably right around 2010, 2011. Because you know it started off more of as an experiment, really, to see if the ideas that that we had would work at all in the industry. Because we didn't want to come about it the traditional way. Mm -hmm. We wanted to take a little bit different approach that would in enable more economies of scale long term and see more consolidation in the industry because you know as technology was coming in a lot of lab owners set to retire over the next 10 years it looked like consolidation was going to begin and we had some ideas on how we could maybe accelerate that and uh, we thought we'd give it a whirl so we started testing some concepts and ideas and then you know it turned into a full-fledged business eventually
0: and I I don't know if we need to go through all of the different steps that that you took to get to where you are today. But, you know, that was about six, seven years ago that you were starting, and I know from our conversations that you you tried some offshoring work, you tried some other things, but eventually you settled down into what you're doing today. So what are you doing today?
2: Today we have a full-service fixed laboratory where we see the product from beginning to end all the way through. The only thing we outsource to local U.S. companies is like titanium-milled abutments and things for implants because the milling machines for those are... Uh, a lot more robust and the cost is fairly reasonable on those types of things doesn't make sense for us to really bring that in house but we did try the offshore things and cuz there was you know a big some big hype about that early on and you know we tried that and didn't really love the results and you know our clients weren't sure how they felt about it so we uh, we abandoned that completely and brought everything in house and built a you know we're about a 45 man lab now and
0: you're taking customers from where in the United States?
2: We have about half of our customers locally in Utah and the other half uh, from all over the country.
0: So you've got this say 45 person, roughly lab doing all of this work and I know from our conversations that you still think that this industry could consolidate a lot more you still think there's a lot of room for growth you still think that there are new technologies coming on that are going to change things so talk about what you see coming still in this industry.
2: You know, as far as strategy goes, it's important to pay attention to a lot of different things. External factors, internal factors, they all matter in our industry because it is changing rapidly. The reason there's been consolidation already and that more consolidation is coming has been driven a lot by technology. Part of the process of making crowns has been automated into machines because certain materials that are very advantageous in the mouth are best off milled which now you've involved a uh, 3d scanning, 3d design, 3d printing is now involved and all of that technology is making it harder and harder for those small mom and pop type businesses to keep up. You know, they have to outsource all of that and that increase their costs. So they can't compete nearly as much, you know, with the pricing structure of the bigger labs and it's making it tough for them.
0: You know, what you're Describing as you're describing an industry that is being hit with a lot of eroding factors for the traditional ways that people create value. Yes. You know,
2: from a Vero perspective,
0: why do you think you might be positioned fairly well to take advantage of all of that?
2: Well, our initial goal was not to be profitable; it was to be bigger because we saw that it was very difficult to be profitable in this industry unless you have economies of scale. Um, if you're smaller, in order to be profitable, the owner needs to be at the bench working, making the teeth. you got to be involved in production. And you know, you mentioned eroding factors. The keystone product of dental restorations in the fixed area was the PFM, which stands for porcelain-fused metal, where the technician would create a coping, you know, a little baseball cap type, if you will, uh, made out of metal that goes over the, the prepped tooth. And then porcelain is stacked on top of that, so you get a strong substructure, you know, the metal's never going to break. And then porcelain on top to make it look good, but a lot of chipping issues and things like that over time, don't, don't get me wrong, it's an awesome product. But zirconia crowns have really taken over the marketplace, especially in the posterior part of the mouth, and zirconia has to be milled. You, uh, you have to mill it. You have to have a milling machine to do it. And initially, you know, all the small guys were able to outsource the copings or the full contour zirconia and finish them and get them to their clients. But now with desktop mills, a lot of the just medium-sized labs have a couple of milling machines. And the small guys that couldn't really adapt and get their own mill really struggle because they're still running really high prices and the doctors are finding out that the prices have come down a ton and it's really hard for them to thrive in that environment.
0: But you're positioned well for this.
2: Yes, we are. Like I said, you know, our goal was to get big quickly. So the first thing we did was adopt the digital technology. We bought a milling machine, 3D scanner right off the bat, started milling as quickly as we could to get that in-house so that we could control the process from beginning to end. And then as we grew, you know, now I think we're up to four milling machines, 1,200-pound 3D printer three digital scanners that we use to scan model work and and whatnot, create the teeth digitally, if you will, before they're created physically. Uh, It's quite a process, a little bit more in-depth, and I'm being a little vague, but it's kind of a complicated process.
0: Okay, so, you know, you got started in this business because you thought you saw an opportunity with what were eroding factors to the original companies in there, that you could come in, you could take advantage of that, you could actually turn what were eroding factors for others into uh, ways to create new value in new ways. Okay, so you're there, you've got 45 people, you're doing pretty well, but I know that just recently, because you started reading the book and started thinking about this more in depth again, I know that you've had a few little revelations about yeah. your business. So, explain what happened.
2: You know, as I started reading the book, a lot of flashbacks to class and all the things <laughs> oh, we no. discussed I way back. Give people flashbacks. It's like PTSD. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, it's funny, you know, you you go through all that stuff in school and you know it, but then you get into your business and you're so buried inside, you forget to look outside and such. And, you know, it was really good just to start thinking again through that simplified process of V-Rail. It really helps you just break it down into something tangible instead of all the intangibles of strategy. It really just helps you focus on where you need to be putting your time and attention. So um I wanted to break down for our people where the true value in our company lies because we do have some distinctive competencies in the fact that we understand the technology. We have it all in house. We use it all every day. And as doctors, you know, they start doing more digital impressioning and stuff. We can lead we can lead out with a lot of things that other labs can't. When now when I say that a lot of other labs meaning the smaller guys. But the big guys, they can do it just as well as we can. And, you know, maybe there's no big labs within our immediate vicinity, maybe some small branches of them, if you will. But, um, you know, I started looking at after this next phase of digital really goes big in our industry, what are we left with? Because anybody who can't adapt to the technology will be gone. Anybody who did, they'll be doing it just as well as we will, most likely. And the rareness factor will not be nearly as important on the digital side. And so trying to understand how we can bring value and have rareness in them so we have true distinctive competencies in our industry was the the main focal point for me. So I thought I need to get our people to focus on what truly makes us different. And from the very beginning, we understood that if our service was better than everybody else's, we would be able to thrive because you had a lot of small small labs, you know, that they're answering the phone They're doing their own billing, their own deliveries often. You know, they're very distracted with a lot of different things. Their service wouldn't be up to par. So that's where we focused initially. And we still focus there every day. But I think oftentimes people lose sight of, oh, we got to be the best in digital and everything else. And they lose sight of what truly helps us to be different. And it's the same things from the very beginning. Consistency in the quality, communication, and timeliness. The cases have to be on time. If you have a patient in the chair and the case is not there, when I say the case, you know, the crown and however many that may be, it's got to be there on time. Now, as I went through this, I looked at those three things and decided, none of them on their own are particularly rare. You know, some labs do a really good job at delivering on time. Some labs do a really good job with their quality. Some labs do a really good job with their communication. But most labs in the industry have a tendency to mess them up at some point or another. So... I looked at them and said, you know, I really believe those are eroding factors. I don't think they bring value because one screw up and one late case costs a lot of goodwill, a lot of goodwill. And over time, those little screw ups are going to eat away at the value that you've created. Those clients, you've gone out and worked so hard to gain these clients messing up a couple of times in two weeks with any of those. And the doctor is going to be thinking, man, I don't know if they can deliver for me anymore. You know, <clears throat> he'll have some serious doubts. And so we sat all of our people down and we we said, how do we create value, you know? And as we went through it, they listed all those things. Man, we we have awesome quality, which we do. We always get cases there on time, which we do. And uh, we communicate really, well, which we do. But there are those very rare occasions where something goes wrong, you know? And whether it's just two late cases a year or something that were actually our fault, that's still too many. And, you know, when it gets busy, busy, busy and... Things are bouncing around like crazy. It's possible to make a communication mistake along with a late case or something. Maybe it contributed. Somebody forgot to take care of something that the doctor had asked for. The notes didn't get made. We, we received the case. The doctor called back in to make some changes. Somebody didn't write the notes down. Something simple like that can be a big error. And so I decided these were eroding factors and not value creators like everyone in the meeting said they were. And I asked them that. I said, well, okay, so we create value with all of these, but what happens when we screw that up? And they all, yeah, that's a problem. So is it a value creator or an eroding factor? Yeah, that's probably an eroding factor. Just not often, but then I said, well, we're getting to the point here. We have to do these perfectly because once all the digital stuff is, the dust has settled and everyone that's left over can do the digital stuff just as well as we do, what makes us different? How do we really please our customers here? And as we pointed them out, we all agreed that if you could do each one of those perfectly, that would be rare. Combine all three done perfectly, and now you have something extremely rare. And so, as we left that meeting, the goal really was in the end, hey, let's make these our top three priorities all the time and see if we can become perfect in them, you know, and, and, and that will involve fine tuning some systems a little bit to where nothing could ever slip through the cracks. And then it comes down to a lot of personal responsibility for each particular technician and them taking responsibility to make sure nothing ever does slip through the cracks. And, and that's the hardest part is, you know, there's a lot of things moving throughout the lab all the time. And, you know, they have their process of reading through all the lab slips to make sure they understand what needs to be done in every single case individually as they are all custom. And then something shows up halfway through the day, gets dropped into their routine and maybe they forgot to check to see if the doctor left any specific instructions or something like that. And that, that's gonna be the hardest piece to drive but as a team we all decided that what we need to do is to focus on what we considered now eroding factors but do them so perfectly that they become a distinctive competency because they're so rare to do all three so well
0: so you're talking about having to put in a lot of enabling factors here in terms of process and system and quality checks that maybe weren't there before in order to build that bundle of competencies into a distinctive competency.
2: That's the fine line that we're always trying to walk. You know, a system can be an enabling factor, but if it is too robust and too anal, then they get frustrated, and now it's an issue instead of a strength. And so really getting down to ground level with our employees and having them work on the enabling factors is really important. But the VRO process overall was really important in not just coming in and trying to say build a system for this but helping them to understand how our company as a whole is trying to create value and trying to make it rare so that they can see that it's not just one little piece here or there that we really have to do all three perfectly and that we really need them to dig in and help us find those determining You know, those enabling factors. We need their help in determining what's too robust, what's not robust enough, so we can still be efficient and and still maintain the quality.
0: And you were talking to me about you had two different meetings.
2: Yes. We did one with all the management to help the managers understand overall, big picture, where is our value. And then we went and redid it again with uh, two departments so far, but we're going to do it with every department. So every department can understand that a late case, for example, is not, you know, our policy on a late case right now is it needs to be there the day before it's due. So the doctor has time to check it and so on and so forth. But, you know, enabling factors of flow throughout the lab, that's, that's late if it's not out of your department on time because that puts the next guy that much further behind. And we want everyone in the company to understand the vision and where the value comes from within our organization. And if they understand that it's it's not just one of those three things by itself, because one by itself is not rare. It has to be all three, or everyone else can do it.
0: And it was interesting to me when you were talking about the, the different departments, the one that we talked quite a bit about, you were trying to get them to understand that how they create value is not necessarily the way that they thought they created value.
2: Yeah, so we have a department that's called Finishing. Because they are the final process in making a crown, let's say, or an implant, so they get it and they add the final shading, contouring, uh, dial in the fit of the contacts and the margins. So they're the finishing department. They kind of feel like they're the last cog in the wheel. And <clears throat> you know, in, in in regards to timeliness, we had a big discussion about. You know, you guys assume you're the last cog in the wheel, and we need you guys to come see some of the processes that are after you, because that's not where it ends, you know? And and I asked the question, what is the last step? And somebody said, well, final QC then, you know, the quality control that happens after. And the response was, well, no, <laughs> let's talk about what happens after that. Someone in the front office is going to do an invoice QC where they pull up the invoice, and as they're printing it, they double check to make sure that all the parts that are in there got put on and any changes that got made, got accounted for. And then after that, there's another QC process where they, a bagging QC. Cause after that, there's no one to catch any mistakes. So we have a person who takes that invoice, matches the name on the invoice and all the other paperwork matches the name on the model work to the invoice. They actually put the crown on the model work and check it to the model work to make sure nothing got switched up in any of the final steaming and cleaning processes. And you know, in their minds, their last step was kind of the end all of the value creation. I'm the most valuable piece here because I'm finishing this thing and it's done after that. And to point out the fact that, well, this most valuable piece of timeliness is being held up on occasion because you think you're the last cog in the wheel. And so this case is due at this time And you don't bring it over because you don't think it's as big of a deal as it is. Or you're not hurrying as much on that as you think. And then if four of you do that, and everybody takes those cases overall at the same time. Now our front office has to do the job that takes time in less time (laughs) than it takes. And that's where we could have mistakes. So the same way they complain about, well, I didn't get this till the last minute. You're doing that to other people as well. And other people still have jobs to do after you. So let's all work on. Our timeliness together so that it, because they all affect the end outcome. You know, if one person's late, it's the domino effect, and mm-hmm. it just trickles through all the way through. And so, to get it perfect, every single person has to pay attention to every single case. And we can't have those outliers where I'm going to set that aside for a little bit because it's difficult or whatever. When it's got to be done, we've got to be on it, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
0: It's interesting to me how you are trying to use the VRO framework. Almost at a, well, at some points down to almost an individual level inside your company, but definitely department by department to help them see the overall picture. Is it having the common language? Is it, what is it about it that makes it something that you jumped to so quickly to implement in
2: that way? That's a great question. I think it is common language so that, you know, we're all speaking about the same things and understanding that. where the importance really lies. I think too, you know, in all of this, the why is the most important part of it. And I think that gets missed a lot. I think you get a lot of dictatorship in companies where somebody's like, hey, do this. Mm -hmm. Hey, do it this way. Why do I have to do it your way? My way is more efficient. Well, your way may be more efficient for you as an individual, but when we're talking about flow through the company, a smaller batch is much more efficient uh, You know, as a whole. And those types of things aren't understood on the ground level unless they understand the big why. So I felt like that was the biggest thing in getting everyone on the same page, speaking the same language. They needed to understand how we create value as a company on the whole so that they could understand and and better look for more whys that drive change. Because, Driving change is difficult. People don't like change. So, helping them better understand the whys really helps everyone dig in a little deeper to, you know, find those enabling factors. And if they understand the why, they're not going to fight a new system or change because the change is what's tough.
0: Okay. So, helping people understand the big why and then taking it down to, a department level to an individual level of understanding the big why. And you really think that the v framework helps motivate that or communicate that or?
2: Yes, because when you're talking strategy, you know, it, it can be a very overwhelming topic. And in these meetings, it was just very simple. Hey guys, where do we bring our value? And then, well, that's great that we bring value in these places, but is it rare? Or can everybody else do it? And all of a sudden they're thinking, yeah. We're not any different than anybody else. So it really helped them see how every individual piece of the puzzle needs to fit in just perfectly to make sure all three of those are done perfectly. And, and, and then they're rare. Oh yeah, now we're rare. So now it, it's helped them see the why. It's helped them dig into enabling factors on the how. And it brings together that common language that really is very simple. Hey, this is what makes us different. So we need to focus our time and attention in these places. And sure, you guys are all making crowns. Everybody, we're all here doing the same thing. But now they're focusing more attention to those little pieces that really matter, that they didn't, you know, they knew it mattered before, but maybe it wasn't as urgent in their mind. It really breaks it down to, man, that process needs to be complete or we're not perfect. And then we're not rare and we don't bring any value different than anybody else. And so it really has helped everyone to understand all the way down to the ground level, everyone that's involved in the process. And I feel like it's made a huge difference.
0: Now, just in case somebody listening to this podcast wants to inquire about Avadi's products or know more about Avadi or anything else, how would they get in touch with you and Avadi?
2: Sure, we are in Pleasant Grove, Utah. Avadi Laboratories. Call the lab anytime 801-210-2700. I'm always there. <laughs> Ask for Jared. Uh website? avadi.com. It's not a great website though.
0: And and Avadi is spelled A
2: V is in Victor, A D is in Delta I. Avadi.
0: Is there anything else that you would want to tell people about Avadi and what you're doing there or what you hope to do there? <clears throat>
2: Well, you know, I think it's interesting that you asked that question because it's so... When people get involved in their, in their business, they often forget to look outside and say, why are we any better than anyone else? And, you know, it's one thing to say, I don't need to be better than anyone else as a person because we're all equal. But as a company, you better be better than everyone else or you're not going to survive. <laughs> And as you get into your company, I, I, I feel like a lot of people just think, you know, because I get approached by people all the time asking about, hey, how did you do this? And that? and I want to I want to do my own company type stuff. And they know I've done it. And so they want some advice. And. I see a lot of people that start their company and they, they think that the field of dreams actually told the truth when it was the biggest crock on planet earth. If you build it, they will come. (laughs) You mean that doesn't happen? doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) And I see that all the time. I'm going to build this. That's great. That's going to be awesome. If anyone ever hears about it, right? How are you going to market that and those types of things. And, and so I see people that get into their business and I think just because they've built something, they think they've got it made and they forget to look outside and see why are they actually different. And, you know, it's funny in Utah a while back, I saw cupcake companies popping up everywhere. Yeah, The first one was cool. And then like the 300 that followed were just as cool. <laughs> so what really makes you different, right? And and so I think people just often forget and maybe they get a little bit confident in the fact that they're making some money and they're doing some, some good work, but they don't stop to think about How are we truly different? Do we actually have any distinctive competencies? And if you haven't read the book, you need to, so you understand what I'm talking about. (laughs) But there are some very simple ways to look at your business and decide, do we actually have something? I mean, it's helped me in, you know, friends asking about their business ideas and looking at my past businesses, because I still have a couple others. (laughs) Which we will talk about. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, this stuff is, that's the great thing about the V-Reel is its business strategy laid out in a very simple formula that you can just say, okay, do I have value? Yeah, there's value there for sure, but is it rare? Can it be easily imitated? Because if it can, maybe I don't have anything long-term here. And, and so on and so forth as you go through the process. And I feel like the things that make body great are our service, our consistency, our quality and communication, right? But everybody can do those. But you see people that thrive in industries similar to ours, like, you know, let's say the fast food industry, you know, Chick-fil-A. Somebody brought that up in our meeting. I said, that's funny because it talks about that in the book. When someone gives you exceptional service, you notice, you know, in the fast food industry, amazing service like Chick-fil-A, Five Guys. I mean, that kind of stuff really stands out. And if you take the book and look at it from a realistic perspective and and look at your company and you're honest with yourself about what you do well
0: yeah you have to be honest
2: and what you don't do well <clears throat> it can make a big difference and i feel like that's the biggest thing that that our people are really really good at when we bring them this stuff they look at it and say oh man we really can do better and it was just an amazing tool to really help us get there so you know having great people you know that's another distinctive competency that's you know never easy to find great people, but
0: yeah, human capital is difficult. When you find great human capital, you want to hang on to it.
2: Yes. It's very important. And, and, you know, we have good culture and nobody screams and yells and all those things have helped with our success over the years. You know, nobody ever comes in yelling. I had, I had someone come to me one time and say, um, I just made a mistake. I'm like, oh, okay. He said, no, it's a big one. (laughs) Uh Uh Uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh-huh. And you know, it turns out he made a three, four thousand dollar mistake. It was a monster. And he said, Can I at least pay for this part of it? No. Cause, you know, I mean it would take him months to pay off. And he said, What can I do to make up for that? And I said, Just come in tomorrow and let me know how that's never gonna happen again. And he came back with a system to make sure that it never happened again. And I'm getting into other little distinctive competencies that I feel like really have helped enable us over the years. And and, and having great people and a good culture, it really matters as well. Um, you know, I mean, there's so many little things we could talk about, but the, the point of the story though is having a framework to visualize what you do well and what you don't do well and how you need to fix things, focus on things from a big picture perspective that's so simple is an invaluable tool. It's an invaluable tool.
0: And my guess is, your industry is going to continue to consolidate, that there are going to be a lot of these smaller companies that can't keep up with the eroding factors of technology and can't develop that bundle of competencies that you are developing. Yeah, I think your industry is going to continue to to change pretty rapidly. And I'm hopeful that what you're doing is going to keep
2: you in that game. Same here <laughs> you know I feel like people that have their head in the sand and aren't looking at external factors and whatnot and what makes them different it's gonna be a struggle for some people it's a it's a rapidly changing industry. The customers are rapidly changing as well. so people that aren't paying attention to the clients and the consolidation that's happening in their industry as well they're gonna have some shock factor too when they wake up and see that half the dental You know, the dental industry itself has been consolidated. And now there's not as many small customers to work with because they're all big and they're all demanding very low price. I mean, there's a lot changing in our industry. So that's a tough thing, though, because so many small companies just don't pay attention to the overall strategy. And if you don't, it's going to be some rough times um, for people in our industry, unfortunately.
1: Well, that was a really, really cool conversation.
2: Yeah,
0: I enjoy talking with Jared. He has a lot of good stories, which is why we're going to have a second part, (laughs) because there's more to the story beyond Avadi. But his work at Avadi and what he's doing and how he's applying V-Real, I am really impressed with.
1: So one of the things that I thought was really neat is how Jared, because clearly he's been familiar with the V-Real framework for a while and it, it affects your thinking after a while.
0: Yeah, he saw several years ago that the technology changes that surround that industry were going to fundamentally reshape the way that people did business in the industry. And he has positioned himself to take advantage of that and find ways to create value through the new technology, which many of the competitors, you know, this is a a very fragmented industry, and many of the competitors are either not looking at those kinds of eroding factors that are coming or they're not positioned in a way to be able to take advantage of it
1: yeah he talked about a lot of those mom-and-pop businesses that work in this industry and how they really aren't able to adopt maybe they're not willing to adopt some of this new advanced technology like 3d printing and, and other things and so that certainly represents an opportunity but the other thing i thought was really keen insight on on his part was the fact that he recognized that yes he has an opportunity to use these technologies and do things faster better what have you but even there he doesn't have a distinctive competency
0: he in one of our our side conversations before this podcast he was talking about when he very directly asked the people in his company you know what is going to make us rare and was relaying how that played out to me it was really quite interesting that the realization that they had that they didn't really have anything rare kind of caught them by surprise when they actually realized that
1: yeah and then of course Jared came in and he was ready to to fix that problem mm-hmm. and so he recognized that by putting together a few key capabilities and resources he could bundle those things and he talked about the need for things to be high quality and to have great communication with the customer and timeliness and by bundling those things together he formed a competency bundle we talk about that in the book think beyond value the competency bundle being a way to to create a real opportunity for distinctiveness in the marketplace
0: the ability to take several different resources and capabilities and weave them together is difficult for many, many organizations. And so his ability to take those individually, not rare, not distinctive things, but by performing very well on all of them together simultaneously, creating something that nobody else has.
1: So that leads to a human resource issue, right? And so I think it's, again, great insight on Jared's part that he can't do this unless his whole team understands that all levels, every place has a really key role in their ability to be successful. And so now here he is, he's going to, he's going to take the book and he's going to use that department by department. So they understand, look, you're, you're central to this. Here's what you need to know. He's very
0: big on the idea of giving them the big picture why, Know, why they are doing what they're doing, how that fits in with the overall picture of how Avadi is going to have a distinctive competency in the marketplace.
1: Again, one of the things that I think is so valuable about the V-Roll framework, working with teams the way Jared intends to, is it's really simple. This idea of value and rareness and eroding factors, enabling factors and longevity, that's simple language. And people very quickly get at least an inkling of what we're getting at and then from there Jared of course can can help his team understand and I think they'll be reading the book and and I think this can be really powerful for him as he goes forward.
0: I think so too and I'm glad that we had the opportunity to continue the conversation and of course that means we do have a second podcast coming up.
1: Yes stay tuned for the next episode guys we're talking about distinctive competencies and Jared has some particularly interesting things behind him.
0: Yeah his story is is kind of unique in many good ways
1: so in the meantime if you're looking for a little bit more information please log on to drdavidflint.com there you can learn about vrail learn about dr flint you can also get yourself a copy of the book it's available in the kindle edition now and also the books will be available as of march 27th so have a look at those resources follow dr david flint on facebook and twitter and We'll catch up with you next time.
0: And just to be clear, it's March 27th, 2018, that the book comes out.
1: Indeed. <laughs>
0: we have to remember, we're not sure how long these podcasts will actually be out there. All right. Well, let's look forward to that second piece of conversation with Jared. But for now, for all of you listening out there, keep on thinking.